0: This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.
1: You are listening to Art Not Science. Presented by the Physics Room Contemporary Art Space, a monthly podcast of artist talks, panel discussions, and other events.
0: Tēnā tato katoa. no mai hoki mai ki tēnei kaupapa kōrero, or The Physics Room. No mai whakarongo mai whakatau mai. My name is Abby Kinane, and I'm the Director of The Physics Room. A contemporary art space dedicated to developing and promoting contemporary art and critical discourse in Aotearoa. Based in central Tahi since 1996, we assist artists with resources and opportunities to enable creative and professional development and work to support the acknowledgement and understanding of contemporary art among New Zealanders. Our goal is to actively seek links between the arts and other areas of cultural production and to involve art as a contributing voice in wider intellectual, social, and political debate. Kia ora tato my name is Amy Wing, and I'm the curator at the Physics Room, and this is episode forty four of Art Not Science. In this episode, we'll be sharing a recent lecture by Karl Meeker titled Wa and its Countercolonial Possibilities Implications for the Human Self. Karl Fakapapas from Tuhorangi Iwi and is a professor in Ōtahi, School of Māori and Indigenous Studies at the University of Canterbury, specialising in Māori and Indigenous philosophy with a focus on its revitalisation within colonised reality. This talk confronts the terms and concepts, time and space, from a Māori philosophical perspective, and replaces them with the possibility that all things are in a state of profound nowness. Along with other indigenous people, Māori identify with the notion of interconnection. In this lecture, Kao considers some of the intricacies of interconnection and its existence through Wa, which embraces the human slash non human, the invisible slash invisible, and the rational slash irrational. Wa is mostly translated as time and space, but Kao argues that the use of those terms immediately imposes a colonial gloss by separating things in the world from each other. Instead, he suggests there are other ways of referring to wa, so that it retains, as far as possible, its holistic sense. Where wa is now thought of as orderly and linear because it is paired with time and space, Karl borrows Henri Bergson's term duration. Understanding it differently from Bergson in the Māori context, Karl speculates that wa can refer to the overwhelming convergence of all things in the world, they are in the sphere of the now. In nowness, things are stupendous rather than manageable, excessive rather than knowable. This lecture was given on the occasion of Te Ha, an exhibition curated by the Physics Room's Toi Māori art intern, Taniora Tamati Rakati. Te Ha includes work by Dr. Areta Wilkinson, Dee Harding, Megan Brady, Ruby May Hinipunui Solly and Kiringawa Cassidy, Invoking Te Ha as an expression of surprise and one of interconnectedness. Both the premise and artworks in this exhibition are founded in Māori or Indigenous knowledge and are enduring expressions of ho order, vitality, and connectivity. Te runs at the physics room until Friday, the 3rd of March. Without further ado, let's hear from Carl Mika.
1: Uh, kia ora tātou. Uh, tēnei te 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 Firstly, I'd like to thank Taniura and Abby for inviting me to come along and speak into the physics room as a whole. So Hoki. So my name is Carl. I am from Tuhorangi and Ngati Fanonga. And today I want to talk to you about wa and its counter-colonial possibilities, implication for the human self, and I italicize the human in that because I want to talk about it in terms of both the human and the non-human and as far as i can tell a lot of the scholarship around wa even in the continental philosophy realm tends to talk about time and space as a as a human construct or if it doesn't it tends to operate still on the premise that that's how we will talk about it and really what i want to talk about today is both wa as distinct from the human possibility or the human perception and to talk about wa as uh, an existential theme that is one that does concern the human being. The premise of my work has always been that the world is interconnected and that is something that I both grew up with and that I continue to read in the literature um, from Indigenous scholars so that what I've found however is that there's a tendency to address that theme briefly and then to move on to more empirical or kind of more Rudimentary matters, you know, that, that research and things like that call for amongst amongst Maori and Indigenous scholars. Very rarely is the theme of interconnection stuck within its own right, as if it um, is worthy of delving into in its own right. Now, I mean, I, there are exceptions to that, of course, and they are a growing number. But there is still a tendency, I think, amongst ourselves as Indigenous scholars to somehow forget that, even though we acknowledge that, we do acknowledge that the world is interconnected generally. And I think you'd find that if you talk to most indigenous scholars that that would be the case, that they would acknowledge that the world is either one, completely one, and this is an interesting distinction, by the way, and has um, very stark consequences between the two, is if the world is one, or if the world is merely, things in the world are merely interconnected, vibrationally or energetically, there is a little bit of a difference, especially in a colonised context. Because they will frame institutions and ways of thinking and indeed knowledge itself in completely different ways. So anyway, that's like a backdrop to what I want to talk about today. It's still with a conviction that the world is interconnected. And what that often calls for is a vastly different way of thinking. So that at times, it can almost sound like you're contorting language in your favour. And that is indeed what I sometimes do. I'm not content with using language in its most banal fashion, I really want to use language so that it actually does sort of not fit what I want to say so much because that's too you know congruent, but to, to, to basically resemble what I want to say in some form or other whilst leaving open a space for there to be further interpretations by other people and other you know other other f- um, forms of thought as well. so I am excited to be here today to present to you and talk with you all I 'll get on to the reading bit now, not least because we can explore irrationality together in conjunction with the idea and perhaps even with the fact of all things, which is a basic principle Māori thought simply will not let go of. I want to talk today about the wa phenomenon, the senses and meanings it holds for the human self whilst acknowledging that the self is only one aspect of the all, -all, A-double-L-all, capital-A, right? It is usually translated as time and space, although some people simply call it time. Because of the growth of Māori scholarship generally, there seems to be a simultaneous growth in the the diversity of ways of talking through our Māori terms. And so someone will talk about wa from a point of view that is almost entirely human. Others will talk about it through metaphysics or, you know, first principles. Others through existentialism and so on. We talk about terms such as wa from our own disciplines and hence probably from our own convictions as well. Minus philosophical mātauranga Māori or Māori thought. I will be coming at the topic today through the lens of speculative philosophy. That is, I do not claim that what I am saying is true in the strict sense, but I am a fan of the idea that any sort of rigorous speculation is good and that a person's speculations on say wa might be of use, especially in the face of colonised ways of speaking and colonisation more generally. I first became consciously interested in wa when I was reading Heidegger, but it wasn't until I started to think more along holistic lines whereby all things in the world are supposed to be one that I started to appreciate its importance. But in a more pragmatic and more unconscious way, I think I was interested in it earlier on. For instance, if I think back to sitting with the old people, there was often a sense of complete presence from some of them and they're talking about certain things asked for those things to be present in more than just a cognitive way. They acted within the influence of wa almost as if time and space manifested through them, amongst other things, not just them. They weren't superhuman, but they did exhibit a coalescing of the all, when I think back about it. And some young people do this too. I think um, sometimes, this is just an aside, but I think sometimes we assume that all that sort of stuff comes from the old people when it doesn't. Of course, this meant that the other side of the coin held true, that they were experts on picking up on whether you were present or not. If you seem to be throwing yourself forward on a course to finding knowledge, being concerned with finding knowledge, especially without any context, asking lots of questions, generally trying to find out lots or making lots of claims about the world, then they might think of you as eager, but ungrounded. The strong emphasis on the intellect ejects ejects you from the all, maybe. Of course, this disposition is highly valued in academia and other places as well, but not necessarily by traditional Māori thought which instead might view it as a pathology. And it is this lack of presence that could be a key marker of the colonised self. Over the last three years or so, I have started to move from talking about wa in a purely metaphysical sense, although I still retain that as the most important, personally, and have incorporated an existential aspect to it, the importance of the theme for the human self. As part of this, I've begun to consider the problems associated with launching yourself forward, so that you are no longer fully there, no longer fully in the now. I have speculated on what was wrong with the ejection of the self, the launching of the self into the world of possibilities, rather than abiding in the here and now world. And I wondered if the problem was that Western thought and practice create a realm that divides the self. The problem here is more fundamentally about creating a division in reality into which you are ejected. You are thrown or ejected from the intactness of all things into another world, but part of you stays put, the physical maybe. It does seem that there is a sense of the displaced that comes from the ejection or forward launching that is a product of colonization. But why would this creation of this other realm, as well as the fact that we are encouraged to occupy it, at least partially, be a result of colonization? I started to think it was a product of Western practice and philosophy, and that in order to be able to launch yourself into another realm, by becoming too much about the intellect, for instance, You had to have a concept of there being division between things, most fundamentally. And to do that, you had to have particular notions of space and time set up. In other words, you wouldn't become too much in your head, and hence less intact by the old people's standards, without there being the presence of another realm. And you wouldn't have that other realm without there being certain notions of time and space. But my problem deepened. I started to conclude that any suggestion of time and space was problematic at least through those terms, because they immediately establish ruptures in what is meant to be one holistic ground of existence. And this is really what I'm, where I'm getting to the point where I, I suspect we probably traditionally believed that it wasn't just the human self that manifested certain phenomena. It actually manifested also in the seen and unseen worlds as well. You are listening to Art, Not Science, presented by the Physics Room Contemporary Art Space. Any talk of time and space automatically validates a deep ontology of alienation. I then started to think that regardless of whether you say such things as time and space are a continuum or time and space are circular, which is often how I hear Māori talk about Māori notions of time and space, the mere existence of those terms acts in opposition to what we intend. Designating the all with those terms immediately cuts into it perversely, then trying to repair that rift in the all deepens it if we use the time and space discourse. So it's like trying to draw on something in order to undo it when in fact you're just adding to the problem. And in discussing time and space, the self adds to that realm I mentioned before and the self is thrown into it and so on. This is, I think, a problem, by the way, of, of language. You know, where we don't have a good body of language to refer to in order to explain what we want to explain, and maybe some things, maybe some things language can't designate, You know, that's, that's the reality of it. I'm not trying to say here that we didn't acknowledge a certain kind of what we now call futurity or past, but they were not future and past as such. They were certain manifestations of the now, with a capital N. What I called in my abstract the duration of the all, but that I would now like to refer to as the persistence of the all, amongst other things, and intensity of the all, and hence the primacy of the now. It is this concept of the persistent here and now that I will stay with in this talk. All this is a rather drawn-out way of saying that the West, or rationality, know people have a problem with the word West, if you want to call it rationality, think of it as that, has created divisions in Maori reality that didn't exist before, primarily through notions of time and space, and that in doing so the West has colonised our existence within the all. Caught up in all this is wa. Wa has recently come into vogue. If you like, is forcing itself to the surface as a topic of conversation in Māori academic circles. And although that is not my chief reason for addressing it, I do see myself as being able to add to the conversation. And I'm extremely grateful to both my Māori um, whānānga as well as my Pacifica relations uh, who have developed kauri or discussion around the topic in their own languages, you know, seeing its importance and at the same time its complexity in a colonised reality. So to reiterate, The dominant Western model of existence is designed to fragment the self by individual us into the elsewhere, what in Māori we might call being kaitua or in a state of the beyond. Highly human-centric, it assumes that we can and actually must all participate in this metaphysics. With the origins and the division between worlds proposed by certain of the ancient Greek philosophers, I have in mind here um, Plato and Aristotle, to the firming up of this division through Descartes and Kant, All subsequent institutions and ways of talking, at least from a Māori perspective, have been established to divorce the self from the full fabric of all things. The well-being of the human human self is compromised, at least from a Māori perspective, when the dominant discourse assumes that one moves forward, connecting with future possibilities, being excited about what is to come and the knowledge that is to come in the future. I've theorised on the Māori term rangirua. I haven't got a PowerPoint today, but... So that's spelled R-A-N-G-I-R-U-A, if you're interested in that. I've theorised on that term in relation to this. Rangirua is often defined as uncertainty, but it can also be thought of as being ejected into another realm or ether, which is rangi, which is another word for the sky father, so that an existential disconnect certainly does occur. I suspect that many Māori view this breach as not just involving individual humans, such as when I talked at the beginning about the disconnected self sitting with Komatua. It occurs in the very fibre of existence to the extent that this disconnect manifests in the world as a whole. That goes back to my earlier point about this not just being a a human concern. So rangirua is one word for a particular kind of spiritual disconnection where culturally and individually a dimension has been created to exist in. Think um, metaphorically of something like an air-conditioned mall. To escape from and establish control over what Māori could call the all. Deloria and Wildcat in, two, in 2001 hinted how the self displaces themselves from the messiness of the world with the following. This, mechanis- this view is strangely comforting to all those who strive to arrive at objective knowledge by taking themselves out of the picture, so to speak, by avoiding our own, our own selves' emotions and feelings, attachments and dislikes, which arguably determine more of our everyday lives in the world than by chemical processes identified in laboratories. In effect, the term rangirua translate literally to two ethers or two intonations. The outcome is that the self abandons the interconnected world in favour of a fragmented existence. Usually this means being above the world in control of how it will manifest and in charge of its features. Another possible interpretation, interpretation is that one is dancing to two conflicting tunes. Are you familiar with the word rangi? Many will be more familiar with papa but I think rangi is also very important. Another possible interpretation is that one is dancing to two conflicting tunes. Māori academic Cheryl Smith notes that for Māori, states of disconnection could result in illness. There are common terms for people who are considered ill through states of disconnectedness. They are considered to be more of the rangi state and lacking in presence. Terms exist such as rangirua, confusion, wairangi, mad, rangi drunk, and porangi, mad. Such people were considered ill, They could be wanderers with no purpose. There is cosmological importance to the term rangirua. Rangi refers in Māori thought to the Sky Father, of course. So to deny the possibility of other realms is to fragment oneself from the all. An unfortunate outcome of that disconnection is that things are called on to fill the void that results. And in current times, this isn't exhaustive, but one sees the accumulation of physical objects and a frantic seeking of knowledge filling this void. We can probably all see ourselves in this state of existence. I'm not saying I'm not Rangirua at all, I'm totally Rangirua. (laughs) Māori who are colonised will occupy this space too, and in that regard, Gordon in 1995 notes that the colonised person of colour seems to walk on air, since his solid foundations no longer lay beneath him. It signals a fear of being present, of seeing oneself as a deeply interconnected phenomenon within the all, or of leaving one's deeply ingrained comfort zone to face the interconnection of all things in the world. So this problem I've noticed arises at the institutional level and the following is assumed. And I, I, I see it in education writ large and I used to see it in, in, you know, in the Faculty of Education and so on in the discipline, but I think it exists across, in its own way, across all disciplines. The human self is there to be formed by another human self, not the non-human world. So it's basically you cultivate and foster goodness in a person and you, 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 know, you bring about a state of knowledge in them is a more important thing in the current world. We see this taking place in education. The way to form the human self is to engage with an ordering of the world that singles things out in their clarity and ultimately forms this thing called knowledge. I remember having this discussion with um, someone who thought that capitalism, and I don't know a lot about capitalism, but capitalism was the, um, is the kind of primordial sin, but actually it's the singling out of things in the world as individual objects. It's related, but it comes before, I think, any kind of capitalism, as far as I I know capitalism anyway. You can engage with the rest of the non-human world, but the non-human world is only valid insofar as it is experienced or a product of human awareness. There's kind of no allowing for the fact that there might be something beyond the realm of of perception that that's provable. And that from that Māori perspective, the all is thrown outwards from the self and the self is launched towards somewhere else that is not meant to be constituted by the all totally by the other human self or by the self. In Māori thought, things are not so straightforward. The human self is in fact all other things, and all other things are one, so any talk of the individual human self's division is perverse. And indeed it is this drive to retain unity among all things, such such that they are one, that probably led Māori to the proposition that there is a given which is not reliant on human awareness. The more accessible way of putting this is that there is an, an eternal, omnipresent spiritual reality This reality incorporates itself as the everyday, or at least I believe that Māori thought it did, and structured their everyday lives around that much more than we do these days. It is a field of materiality that gives our terms their backdrop meaning, and by that I mean their acknowledged force or their spiritual materiality, not their dictionary definition. It is the primary field of existence. It is the earth and ether of being. Earth and ether is another way of saying all. I use that because I was aware that there was this kind of focused through law and other, but particularly through law, actually, on land and earth, and that Māori were becoming very, very focused on land. And I can see why, because we lost a lot of land, but in doing so, we forget, perhaps, the metaphysics of rangi there. It is a ground and stratosphere of thought and emotion for humans, but it is a structure of existence for all non-human entities in their own way. What I mean here, and what I want to make very clear, is that it is is the human self's tendency or orientation or stance to be a certain way, Thoughtful in an emotional sense, for instance. But that is simply one orientation among many, and the non-human world is equally oriented, pre-ordered according to those things' own tendency to be in the world. And in turn, we we each lie within this earth ether, in synchronicity with each other, as we are all constituted by the other. Because of this, we would often call humans after a mountain, as one example, because in fact, there is no essential difference between the human and the non-human. You are listening to Art Not Science, presented by the Physics Room Contemporary Art Space. Our human and non-human existential ways of being in the world must therefore have immediately immediate regard for the oneness of all things. If I speculate about this eternal spiritual given, and that's all I can do, speculate about it, it is as if this reality is all-encompassing and ancient. It is both the first and the current. It means that our Māori terms are saturated with this earth ether being whilst being no different from it. And this in some ways is a perfect segue into a discussion about wa, which is one term that is caught up in the current of colonised thinking through its translation as time and space. Wa is implicated in the tendency towards linear division created through colonisation, yet at the same time it asks us to pull back and then assess it according to its incorporation in that spiritual reality I just mentioned. Wa, along with other terms such as whakapapa, which can be called genealogy, but, I mean, if I came up with another, the term genealogy annoys me. It doesn't mean that there's nothing genealogical about whakapapa, but it's, it's a very banal definition, maybe interment within being, because whakapapa to be within a kind of, to use Deleuze and Gatari's language, to be within a um, plane of imminence. Ranginui, sky father, primordial attunement, resonance, and whakaro to think, the regard of the all is meant to show the all and how we <coughs> refer to it, excuse me, or use it, yet it, is, yet it has been captured by several ways of speaking that don't acknowledge or don't or have no idea of even the possibility of that spiritual given. The translation of wa as time and space is particularly insidious, though, because it both disregards the unity of all things such that they are one, and it also herds Māori forward as one along a narrative of progress and development, Quite apart from the chirping optimism of the discourses of progress and potential, though, which I won't go into today, rendering as time and space is the very first step in dictating how objects are to be conceived in their single reality. Objects take their form according to when they may appear to our human minds. If we had a notion of oneness, then things take their form as one. That cup or this phone is in fact the all, and our language would reflect that if not in strict meaning, then simply in the the assumption that the all constituted the language that we used. So having laid out the problem, what could wa possibly be? To signal wa as if it is alone is probably the biggest temptation at this point, but but I would reiterate that the most important facet of wa is its residence within that spiritual field I raised earlier. That means that wa signals the fact of the all. It isn't anything without that, and to think of it without that is to make it empty and vulnerable to translations that have nothing to do with that spiritual realm. If I may be so bold as to imagine a traditional notion of wa, I would suggest this, that wa signalled the absolute nowness of the all. Thus, there is some time-related language there in the use of the word now, admittedly, but the now is completely timeless and spaceless. The now was everything, and this now was in capital letters. Wa signalled, or indeed was, the sheer reality and fact of all things in the world at once. As I've said, this facticity of wa had nothing to do with human awareness, sensation or consciousness. It is the presence of the now that we only had limited understanding of, yet which prevailed over any single definition, that we might now pull out of a dictionary. You'll be getting the general gist from me that I don't like the way language is translated. Um, The human does experience the intense nowness of wa, but not in a way that limits its affordance, where we now launch ourselves elsewhere, either into the past or future. In pre-colonial times, I wonder if Māori moved within the world whilst experiencing experiencing the almost overwhelming persistence of the now. Yet trying to conceive of it was not completely possible. The language of sound is one way of approximating what I'm trying to say here. A global universal reverberation, if you like. For Māori thought, this resonance was not primarily a pitch that some people say they hear coming from the earth. It was more fundamental than that, less localised and nowhere near as audible. It refers to the sheer existence of the all, the silent but imperious shout out from all things. It resounds as both nothingness and em- emphatic nothingness, a type of thingness in Maori thought. As far and there is an explanation for that, but I don't have time to go into that today. As far as we humans relate to it, it was nonsensical as well as vaguely understandable, but always paradoxical. Maybe maybe another way to put it is it kind of contains toward a hint of the absurd. This resonance was never orderable, at least it wasn't insofar as we have been taught to order things in rational thought. Really, this experience is not limited to the language of sound, but I decided on using that language because it seemed closest to what I was trying to get at. However we talk about it, the now impinged on all human understanding and experience, saturating the existence of both human and non-human. It persisted is another way of putting it. Further, our encounter with individual objects would have been different we might have encountered a mountain as if it were much fuller than how it appeared. Again, thoroughly implicated by all other things. The thing before me would have possessed an excess, would have had a substance to it that went beyond my understanding. I would have understood that implicitly, perhaps intuitively, without realising it, and responded accordingly, retaining the belief that both the object and I were implicated in the all, as I did refer to it. The world as a whole and its objects, in their brute, loud nowness, would have been points of mystery for me, alluding my full knowledge, but linking with me through my emotion and gut responses. They would have been outrageous, stupendous even. I want to say here something about excess, excess which has certain versions in Māori narratives of creation. I suspect that excess was something venerated. We might have danced with joy at being ignorant of something, or indeed at being simply ignorant, because we understood that any one thing was in fact that earthy for being, and couldn't be known. To know would have been something strange. Madness, madness nowadays, is an undesirable form of excess. The Māori term porangi, though, which has been translated as an undesirable form of excess in the term in the vein of madness, may well have signalled that someone was totally immersed in and experiencing that excess of the all. This was probably not at all undesirable. Several terms in Māori indicate an excess of the spiritual and hence meaning kuare, which means ignorant in Māori, is in fact a hollowness that nevertheless reverberates with something. Thus, the hollowness is somewhat paradoxically overbrimming. is apparently nothingness, but is at the same time thinghood. If you want to think of it in more practical terms, the silence of ignorance is deafening. Ignorance has materiality. That's just one example. So it is with wa, too. It opens up within that field of earth ether. And thus, we are always dealing with it in terms of an excess, but it has existential implications, too. Some of them I've speculated on above in terms of possible pre-colonial significance. But what about in current times? My speculation around Wa, where Wa is an existential term, will always recognise the more than human world. But the issue of colonisation of the human self on its own is an important facet of Wa. We definitely have to address it. And prioritising the time-space translation of Wa and actually by adopting the terms time-space even without the term Wa being present, as I've noted, we open up a chasm in ourselves and in the all. This whole existential aspect of wa, which is really no different from its metaphysical aspect, can be captured by the term wānanga. Wānanga, as many of you will know, is often simply translated as a human act, to meet and discuss is one definition as is a place of learning. If we think about the term having an excess, though, we come to the conclusion that there is a skein of those, within, of those definitions within the term, but they do not do justice to its entirety, Wānanga, as some of you may have noticed, carries with it the term wā. Here is my view of wānanga. I want to break this brief discussion into two parts. The first, dealing with what I think happens within wānanga at a completely non-human level. And secondly, how this implicates the self's awareness. In terms of the first, I suspect wānanga represents the crystallisation of the all into the manifestation of a single phenomenon, such as a thought or a thing, in the so-called concrete world. If you like, it is the absolute intensification of what is already intense, the all, such that something coalesces. In my view, other terms like whakapapa, ida, how many have heard of the term ida? Yeah. So ida really refers to kind of an essence or um, gene, but again, those aren't really very good explanations for it. Kore which means, which is like a stark, very intense nothingness. And many others refer to specific forms of intensification or intensity and in ways which none of us can grasp the individual thing that is manifested as indistinguishable from the all. The mountain is a particular emerging of the all. Its primary identity is the all, not as a separate mountain. Similarly, a state of affairs that we need to discuss or question only takes its place because of its affordance as the all. Having suggested that, I can now turn to how we encounter this form of intense nowness, how it becomes the human self's concern, there are probably many Māori theories that are possible here, but I will deal with one through the term why. You familiar with why? Mm-hmm. Often we ask who someone is, called where who are you, supposedly, and in doing so, inquire into the waters they come from. That's one explanation I've heard. That's okay. It will probably now come as no surprise to you that I will not be happy with the roughshod definition of why is who and water. Again, whilst those terms are not incorrect, they are incomplete, they smack of the usual physical property focus that tends to go with the language of rangirua or the grammar of modernity, to quote Ahinākū and others. If we think of why instead as the intense manifestation of something such that it becomes a concern for inquiry for the human self, we may be getting closer. Again, this is in my view. In my search for a term in English that could deal with the usual definitions of water of why as both water and who, but also catered for my need to source this within the wire of intense nowness, I thought of the term fluency. While it can mean a capacity for correct language, you know, someone's fluent in a language or something, it derives from a more ancient sense of to abound through its Greek ancestor flying, along with to well up and to swell. At this point, it would seem that I am, I have a tediously Heideggerian obsession for etymology, but I can't blame Heidegger for that. He encouraged me, but it's something I've had back as far as I can remember. Taking all these different definitions together, we get the sense of something congealing through its swelling up within the oar, taking on its own appearance. Incidentally, this is a possible alternative, possible alternative definition of tūpuna. The particular intensity that Y addresses is concerned with the question of how something manifests in relation to the thickening of the oar at a certain point. But in being given awareness of that manifestation of something, we are brought to question our own presencing, not just, we're not just asking the question of the other, I think we're actually implicated in the who of the question as well, ourselves. What is it about the all's, and this happens I think in these, kind of occurred to me in these ways, What what is it about the all's manifestation in the form before me that resonates with me or has brought me to inquire into that formal thing? Indeed, how am I given manifestation through this thing before me that I have a concern about? How is my own manifestation as the all brought into wa itself by its intensification? I suggest that in the question kawaikwe, all these questions arise too, if not explicitly, then as a very firm backdrop. To that extent, wānanga can be to do with teaching and learning or human deliberation, but the manifestation of a concern or idea to be discussed wouldn't have happened without that specific nowness taking place. We we run the risk of forgetting that, I think. So in conclusion, given that something like wā is not simply a concept, but a living phenomenon, what place does it have in a world that colonises us as Māori through rational thought? And then the question arises, how far should we sing with the irrationality of wā in order to explain a worldview? As Māori, do we sing with it or are we in fact irrational beings and so are we no different from wā itself? This has been one of the questions that has plagued me recently, and it seems the more I hear the call of wa, the more I become convinced that I'm constituted by it, rather than just being someone who hears it. In other words, a Māori worldview might say that the eternal refrain of wa doesn't just guide us, it is us, along with any other thing in the world, and every other unseen entity, and so on. Along with all other things in the world, its resonance implicates all things, brings them into being, and sustains them allows them to persist in what they are, which is not as individual objects, but as all other things. And the way these things come into being are sustained and persist, does not accord with the so-called rational view of the world, the one that we're normally taught in schools and so on, universities. They're coming into being as irrational, dark, sometimes palpable, but basically unknowable. As the resonance of WA speaks through anyone, so the South will be irrational. Um, that finishes my presentation for today, but I look forward to engaging... In a discussion with you. Kia ora.
0: That was Carl Meeker giving a lecture on WA and its counter colonial possibilities as part of the public programme for Te Ha. Te Ha continues at the physics room until Friday, the 3rd of March. The show includes work by Dr. Areta Wilkinson, Dee Harding, Megan Brady, Ruby May Hinipu Nui Soli, and Kirangawa Cassidy. And seeks to emphasize the connection between the breath, mental well being, the spiritual, and the everyday, alongside Kai Tahu Korero concerning Te Ho and Te Tai I hope you'll check it out. Thank you for listening. Tune in next month, on Friday, the 17th of March at 8 pm, for our next episode of Art Not Science. Matewa.
1: The Physics Room is generously supported by Creative New Zealand, the Christchurch City Council, the Rata Foundation, Three Boys Brewery, Scientific, and the Crater Rim.